2: Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host Patricia Baker, and unfortunately, my co-host Patricia Kirkman, PK, is not doing very well tonight. She did something to her back. Her daughter called me and said, "I'm sorry, but my mom can't make it to the show tonight. She can barely move." So, anyway, sending out prayers and healing thoughts to you, PK and hope you'll be back by next week. But there's so much going on in the world today. We always look forward to hearing P.K.'s numerology reading, and unfortunately we'll have to wait another week to hear what she has to say as we are slowly going to be walking into November. But right now we're coming up against Halloween, and of course it's Spooky October on our radio show. We do this every year, bringing the best of the best of paranormal stories and experiences, and tonight I have a great guest for you, Rich Newman, and he is the author of a brand new book called Passport to the Paranormal, Your Guide to Haunted Spots in America. But before we go there to introduce and meet him, I just wanted to, again, mention, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter, MeWe, we're on all those places, and make sure you give us a like and a follow so that you know what's going on and what's coming up on all of our shows. Now, one of the things we are actively looking for, and in case anybody out there knows somebody who's an expert in this, we're looking for someone to give us the latest scoop on Antarctica. Now, as you may recall, we had John Sousa on, former FBI agent, talking about Antarctica a few years back. But after that happened, apparently all communications were shut down. People were, even before that, they weren't supposed to be talking about Antarctica. But after that, they really were shut down and told, don't talk about this or else. So we weren't able to get any more information. However, I'm hearing some rumblings, some other things coming out about it, I want to get them confirmed and see who I can bring on the air to give us the latest scoop because Antarctica I know is a big interest for our audience, big interest for me and PK. We'd like to stay on top of it. It's a top secret project down there. There's still military from all over the world that's there and we're still wondering what happened with the film crew that disappeared, never to be seen again. Yet their film was found and not returned to the production company. So the government kept it, refused to return it. And, of course, we'd like to know more about that expedition, what happened to those people, and what's on that film. We're going to do our best to see what we can find out for everybody. So in the meantime, make sure you're following us. And... Let me tell you what, these paranormal stories in this book are great. This is the perfect book for Halloween or to read any time of the year. If you just want to have a spooky story to read out loud, um, it's or just read to yourself. It is a great, great book, and he goes state by state, so I'm sure your state's in there, and you can hear about and read about all of the places that you might want to visit or stay away from. It's up to you. So, paranormal investigator Rich Newman, he's the author of many books, including the Ghost Hunters' Field Guide. But this is his latest. Again, it's called Passport to the Paranormal. And he's going to fill us in now with all of the latest and greatest in these 200 places. So, Rich, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
2: Hey, it's great to have you here. And what got you into this? What made you take a left turn down this path? I think it was all
1: the uh, good old 90s TV shows, you know, watching unexplained mysteries and sightings and stuff like that. It gets you out, and it got me out looking around, you know, for haunted places around my area. At the time, I lived in Missouri outside St. Louis. So we had a lot of really cool haunts there, like the Lemp Mansion and, places like that where you can go over there and check it out and do a little ghost hunting on the side and just dabbling basically, you know, into folklore and legend and stuff like that and just, and just loving it, you know?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm right with you. I love all that stuff too, but you've actually traveled, you said to just about every single state. So you've paid a visit personally to a lot of these places.
1: Most of them in this one, because the first book that I wrote for Llewellyn was called uh the Ghost Hunter's Field Guide," and it actually had eleven hundred haunted places in it state by state
2: and wow.
1: foolishly i yeah, and I foolishly tried to go to as many of those as I could over about a three year period and it was you know and it became impossible, so I ended up having to reach out to a lot of different ghost hunting groups and talk to them about some of their spookier spots in their areas, you know, and their experiences and things like that. So I could get that stuff into that book. So when this 10-year anniversary kind of came up for the Ghost Hunter Field Guide, I thought, you know, instead of breaking my back trying to do 1,100 spots again, let's whittle that down to like the 200 best in the country. Um, Most of these I will have actually been to, if not just at least been by there and visited, talked to the owners and uh, just concentrate on what I kind of think of as, like, the best haunts in America.
2: Well, that was a smart thing to do, my goodness, and it's a great book, and I'm thrilled that you covered so many spots in New England, which is where I am. So uh, do you have any favorites in New England that you can share with us?
1: Man, you know, it's funny because, like, I hate that I sound like, you know, the – prototypical ghost hunter who's going to just kind of, you know, talk about the cliche spots, but I don't know that you can really go to new England and not just love like some of the atmosphere and history and places like the Lizzie Borden house. I really just really love that place and going to Salem to the the Dean Hawthorne hotel and kind of hearing the history Mm -hmm. of that land and, you know, possibly being haunted by, by one of the unfortunate ladies who was burned back in the day And then another really cool place, and I kind of wrote a personal story about it in the book, was I went to the haunted Shanley Hotel in in Napanoch, New York, and such a serious, spooky haunt. You know, like I would, you know, and they and they're pretty open for ghost hunters, so it's a great place for ghost hunting groups to just go rent the whole quote unquote hotel. It's really just a big house that's falling apart, and just ghost hunt, you know, and get that that yeah. full New England spook experience.
2: Now, you went there and stayed there, right? So what happened?
1: We were there we were there two or three days shooting with like I said Japanese TV, and they have this really cool kind of format they do for the TV show where they bring in kind of a sucker who has no idea they're going to a haunted place. <laughs> um they say something like yeah, it's kind of funny. They do like they'll tell him yeah. something like, "Hey, there's this great beer festival, and you're going to be like our spokesman at it or something." <laughs> oh, and so god. they they fly in, they put him in a, a haunted room, and then we're you know in the next room monitoring what happens in there and watching all the funny reactions when things start happening to him. You know.
2: Oh my god! So what? Did, how did he react?
1: Well, you know, nine times out of ten, they're so tired that like when spooky stuff starts happening, I kind of feel sorry for them because they have no idea what's going on. And the Shanley Hotel is just one of those places where, on top of the of the paranormal stuff, where you you know we it's supposedly it's beleaguered by three or four different spirits that kind of date uh, everything from back to the early 1900s to just the modern period, spanning the lifespan of this house. But the the most well-known ghost being what they think is a girl named Anna. And so people hear voices and footsteps, and then you get the bangs and the knocks, and then this old house kind of, you know, it's kind of falling apart, you know, so you get all the typical house settling stuff there, too. So not a lot actually happened when the person was in there and we were monitoring them. But uh-huh. after we were done shooting for the night, we were so exhausted, it was about five in the morning. So I just uh-huh. went up to a random, bedroom up towards the uh, kind of attic area. And they put these uh, journals in all the rooms so people can kind of talk about what happens there. And I just curled up on a bed and went to sleep. And the next thing I knew, I woke up and the room was, you know, that ice cold feeling when, you know, when oh. something's going about <laughs> to happen. Yeah. That's right. And I just, I sat up and, you know, and I grabbed the blanket. And then I heard this girl's voice laughing. In the next room and I knew there was no one there so I just got up and kind of creeped in there and when I got there there was no one there and there was the journal kind of sitting there like it had been pushed off the side of the uh, dresser and I popped it open of course and then there's all these stories in there about people who's actually encountered a ghost named Anna and one named Emma in this particular area so I'm uh-huh. pretty sure I got a, a nighttime visit from one of them
2: oh very cool And it didn't frighten you because this is what you're after, obviously. You want to have these experiences.
1: You know what? It's it's always context, isn't it? I mean, like, you go to a lot of these haunted places and you feel like you're used to it. And most of the time I think, yeah, you could visit there and experience, you know, this activity and just be totally cool about the whole thing. And then sometimes just in the context of, of the moment and not expecting it and it just so happens you know you're standing in a dark room or something and then something happens and you're like oh crap you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah here we go oh my so yes but what i like about your book too is that you tell people where to go you you can go to this place like you mentioned this uh this dilapidated old house which they can rent out if they want to do their own ghost hunting so it's a wonderful handbook for people to get and if they want to do their own exploring. And I think there are a lot of people that are interested in this. And you've created a roadmap for them. That's terrific. That
1: was absolutely one of the rules I had when writing the books, was that I was only going to put places in there that people could actually go to. Because it used to frustrate me when I was really out there and there wasn't many good ghost hunting books around I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking about the '90s now, and, and or maybe even the aughts. but there just wasn't a lot of great location kind of books around. And then when you would actually get one, it would end up being private property, or it would be a cemetery, which I personally don't really like to go to a lot, just for you know respect of the people buried there, and and vandalism that occurs when you start writing about cemeteries being haunted. And right. I just got frustrated with those kinds of books. So when I'm when I got the deal to make this book, I was like. Every single place I'm putting in there, you can go to it. Like even the book with 1,100, you can go to all 1,100 of those places.
2: Gosh, that's amazing. Well, that's great. Thank you for doing that for everybody. So I'm not a big ghost hunter. I do like to, you know, when they turn up, have a little conversation. But I don't go actively looking for them like you do. You're much more adventurous than me.
1: (laughs) Oh, come on. You know you like to do the EVP work?
2: I like EVP work. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of fun, and certainly the technology has grown tremendously around it.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, do you remember? In the, well, I mean, in the old days, I don't know if you remember or not. So, but in the old days, you know, when digital recorders kind of started first coming around, a lot of people didn't trust them. There were people saying stuff like, "Oh, you know, you need that white noise of the actual cassette tape." You know, for them to imprint their voices on and things like that. And yeah, even some yes, of the, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, you remember that. Yeah, and, and even like mm-hmm. one of the biggest pioneers in EVP, Sarah Eastep, she used to use that old school reel-to-reel recorder with you know a, a long microphone on a cord to capture voices, and she was one of the very first ones to kind of come out and say, you know, no, this digital recorders they're they're pristine and they're too clear and you know they won't have any sort of mechanism upon which, you know, to leave any messages behind. But what we really found out was the digital recorders actually recorded much clearer because the microphones are better, the audio recorder is better, the, the recording format is better, and it actually made EVPs, you know, a lot easier and better to work with.
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing what you can do now. Even with an app, they have these apps that you can get for your phone that are supposed to be picking up words or sentences or some kinds of energies in the room. So, yeah, it's it's just amazing. And then some of these ghost boxes are quite extraordinary. So that's a whole other way to go, I guess, to capture these types of things. But honestly, I'm a little surprised that we haven't gotten to the point of having a technology that would show a complete manifestation of a physical form you know somebody who's passed even though i know some people like the skull group for example they've they've had that happen but i don't think the technology is quite there yet to help that take place in a in you know every time type of of manner so it's like it happens when it happens and it's rare but wouldn't that be cool to have it happen kind of on demand with the technology
1: it would be great, but uh, you know. But I think that comes. The problems with that comes more from the spirits themselves, and that I don't think a lot of times they have the energy that that they need to fully appear the way that you know that we think of as a full-bodied apparition. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought it was really interesting when companies like Digital Dowsing they were kind of like on that front of making, like, interesting ghost hunting gear for television shows. You know, they made the, some of the gear for uh, some of the Booth Brothers movies and, like, um, the early Ghost hunter stuff. And I think even now maybe on, like, Ghost Adventures. But they had the idea of, of making these EM pumps that would actually pump extra electromagnetic energy into the air to act as almost like a battery, so we could kind of get the spirits to have a little more energy and maybe do what you're talking about. But I think that's
2: How probably cool. about as
1: close. Yeah, that's about as close, you know, technology-wise, I think we've gotten to that.
2: Yeah, that's pretty close, though, that somebody's thinking in the right direction. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Because now, you know, as you know, and we all know, you basically are left to hope that the energy is strong enough so something can come through or someone's desire is strong enough to make it happen. Um, tell us about the Mark Twain house, because that's one of my favorites.
1: The Mark Twain. You probably know more about the Mark Twain house than I do. It's <laughs> oh. one of your <laughs> well, It's in your book. Oh. <laughs> so
2: I just think it's a magnificent place, and certainly, you know, this this man was remarkable um, in who he was and his wisdom. But I was wondering, did you get a chance to visit that place?
1: Yeah, I did, and I think the the, the ghost story about his daughter and everything is, is kind of crushing. I mean, I know... I actually grew up in Missouri, and so, like, Mark Twain is, like, this treasured writer of Missouri because they have things dedicated to him in Hannibal, Missouri, which was his hometown. And, of course, he was very fond of, like, the riverboat things and and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. So for people who don't know it, Mark Twain actually went through – after he got really popular and built the house that you're speaking of and had this nice home in New England, and he had his family living there – he was kind of going broke, and so he was kind of forced to go to Europe and do these lecture tours to make money to kind of keep him going. And while they were gone out of the country, uh, his, his daughter died. Mm. Um, I don't, her name is escaping me for some reason. Do you remember what it was?
2: I don't know. I don't remember her name
1: but they they were so crushed by her death that when they came back you know they they couldn't bear to live in the house any longer and so they they left the the house and it's now kind of a living museum but people still claim that they hear the voice of, of the girl who died there and uh and even there's a couple people who've said that they've actually ran into old Samuel Clemens himself like hanging really? out there in the house so, <clears> though <throat> yeah you know it, it seems like the sightings of him kind of almost sound more like wishful thinking to me you know like they you know they really want to see mark twain and and so they, when they see a partial apparition or something like there he is you know
0: <laughs> yeah that right. kind of thing.
1: but i the most common yeah i'm sorry
2: uh no i didn't say anything
1: go ahead oh i thought you said something i'm sorry uh what, no but, but definitely but the most common the daughter. activity there is the daughter <laughs> yeah yeah she's um, the most common ghost there
2: is yeah I, when I visited the house I was really struck by the beautiful architecture and obviously they've done a great job keeping it up but I didn't sense anybody there I I really didn't now there were a lot of tourists running around in the house so you know they did the tours and, and all of that and I think once you're involved in something like that sometimes it's a lot harder to pick up on anything um, you know seeing or hearing spirits um, because it's such a dominant energy with the tourists walking through. And so I didn't sense anybody there. Not to say there wasn't, but it was a lot harder to sense anything. But I just love the house. It's it's an amazing, amazing place. And certainly his memory and all of what he wrote and said is, is terrific. So, anyways, that's why I wanted you to mention it. And maybe people nearby will go visit. So... Oh, yeah. And I, and
1: I love absolute... how they've kind of, well, I was going to say that they – I love how they've romanticized that ghost, too, though. You know, anytime that you go somewhere and they kind of have, I think they call her the lady in white. And yes. so, uh-huh. like, anytime you have, like, a lady in blue or a lady in white or something like that, you can really tell that, you know, a place is sort of embracing their haunted history instead of, you know, trying to hide it, which is always a plus for anyone when they're trying to visit, you know, a haunted place.
2: Yes. Now, now, that's more of a mild uh, place to visit, but what's your spookiest place in your book?
1: I think that probably the spookiest place is you know, again, context because you know spooky to us, you know one of us may not be spooky to someone else, but I think some of the places uh, where you can definitely have a higher chance of activity and some of it kind of you know having a little bit of a spooky context with a backstory. So I would mm-hmm. definitely say, like the Crescent Hotel in Arkansas. Um, I've had several experiences there in in multiple rooms, and it can be really spooky in the winter time. I used to joke about it because if you go to the Stanley Hotel, which was, of course, the inspiration for The Shining,
0: oh, it's this
1: okay. beautiful, gorgeous hotel. You know, like and there's mm-hmm. this town just right there next to it. And you really don't feel like you're in The Shining because the Stanley is so beautiful. Um, but you go to the Crescent Hotel in Arkansas in winter, it feels like the Overlook from The Shining.
2: <laughs> Whoa! Yeah.
1: It, you know this old hotel, when, it's, when it gets snowed, kind of you know the snow's on the ground. Uh, there, it's a it's a hot springs kind of a town that's Eureka Springs, Arkansas, which is a they have natural hot springs. And so in the wintertime, people don't really come there that much. So when you go there in the wintertime, you may be one of like you know a handful of people staying in the hotel. So you really get that sort of that spooky vibe from it.
2: Yeah. So what happened when you stayed there?
1: Well, I stayed – okay, the first time I went there, I actually stayed in the room that's known as Michael's Room. And the story Mm -hmm. goes that this man was – while they were doing some renovations on the hotel, he fell a couple stories and landed basically on what was this room's floor and was killed. Uh, When I stayed in that room, I just found him to be very annoying because the room has these shutters inside of the windows, kind of like for decoration, and you can close the inside shutters to block off the window. And Uh all night long, Michael was just slamming these shutters against the wall. So as soon as you went to sleep, you'd hear this. Bam!
0: And oh, no. You know how when
1: you, you you slam something so hard it actually bounces. So, yeah. <laughs> so it would be like it'd be like bam, bam, bam,
2: bam, bam, bam. Oh my god! <laughs> over and so over. so no sleep for you. Long. Oh, all night uh, long. You couldn't tell him to knock it off, huh? He wouldn't listen.
1: Oh, I was telling him. Yeah, he just wasn't listening. But the uh, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> on a spookier note. Um, there's a bar that, that used to be called Doc Baker's Lounge, named after the infamous killer of the Crescent Hotel, who pretended to be a doctor and have a cure for cancer, and then people would pay to come to this particular spot to be cured. And of course, he he had no cure for cancer, and they would die, no. and then he'd re- wheel their bodies out in the middle of the night and was and was grifting everyone. So that you know they they have no idea. I think hundreds of people died there during this period. Um, and they had this bar named after him on the top floor, and it was kind of middle of winter. I was staying there, and it was dead. There was no one hardly in the hotel, and I'm me and the bartender were hanging out in the bar about 11 o'clock, and I get up to go to the bathroom, and I glance down the side hall, and there's this strange-looking guy just standing there in a trench coat looking at me.
0: Oh, and I my just kind
1: of kept walking, and I got about halfway to the bathroom, and I thought, you know – That guy looked really weird, almost like a cardboard cutout. And I stepped back and looked, and and he was gone. And so when I went back to the bar, the bartender was like, oh, man, I could tell by your face something happened. What happened?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And did he tell you that it sounded like that guy?
1: He said that they've seen – they call him the cowboy, that they've seen him up there a lot of times. And – that was actually – it led to an interesting conversation where we were talking about, you know, when you see something that looks like a full-bodied apparition, but it doesn't seem like they're animated or anything, you know, mm-hmm. are they really a ghost? Or did you just kind of see an image sort of implanted from time?
2: Mhm, A memory, yeah. That's yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Do you have a sense of, you know, when you see something like that, it sounds like you sensed it. You just knew this was not a person you were looking at. You knew that.
1: Yeah, in that instance for sure because it was just the unnatural way that it looked like he wasn't moving at all. Like he was just mm-hmm. almost like a photograph, like a life-size photograph standing there.
0: Yeah, like this place. And, placed
1: in, in it, there. you know, yeah. and when you see it, yeah, when you see something like that, you know, your instinct is kind of like, hmm, that's weird. But then when you kind of get away from it for a few minutes and you think about it you're like, no that was really weird. Like there's something not right about that, you know. Yeah. And yeah. it didn't take me a few minutes, you know. That 30 seconds it took me to back right back up, you know, it was already gone. So
2: Mhm. Yes. What about photography? When you go to these places, do you end up with any photographs of these ghosts?
1: You know, I've gotten lucky a few times with photographs. Um We went to a place called the Aldert House in Illinois where they used to say that this uh, apparition of a Native American would appear along this fence line. And my brother and I were actually walking the fence line side by side, snapping photos, and we captured a series of photographs where you could actually see the apparition form and build up into a full-bodied Native American floating two feet off the ground… So it was like the first photo was like this little red blob, Mm -hmm. and then the next one, it kind of almost like a red smear in the air. And then a couple photos later, you could see – I mean it literally looks like a long-haired Native American with with a chest plate. I I guess that's – I don't know the correct nomenclature for that. Uh, And like he's kind of floating in the air about two feet off the ground along the fence line, which is exactly – where the docent of the Eldred house told me that they saw this, you know, which why we were there taking the photographs.
2: That's great. That must have been very exciting
1: to see that. That photograph. Absolutely. And you know what, and it points out one of the great lessons of ghost hunting, which is listen to the you know, you know, everyone's really into debunking things, and that's all well and good. But I also believe in really listening to what the witnesses tell you because It's better to believe them, and when they point out that we see things over there and over there, go there first. You know, if if people are seeing a ghost, you know, along the fence line of the house, doesn't it make sense to go over there and put your camera on that fence line? You know, like I would say, you know, just listening a lot of times and going to the high probability areas, you know, really helps out when you're actually trying to have some experiences out there.
2: Good advice. Yes. Yeah, because if other people are experiencing it, then you might be able to have a chance to do that too. So why not go there and take your camera? I mean, lots of times when people take pictures, they don't even see anything through the camera lens. They see it when they look at the pictures later. Is that what happens for you also?
1: Yes, for sure. But also I think a big part of that is just the practical stuff of it. Like, I mean, because when you're shooting with digital cameras, which most of us are now, I mean, Mm -hmm. so we're using digital cameras. They have tiny screens. So I mean, a lot of times you're taking these photos and you're glancing down at your little screen, and you don't see nothing, or you see something little small on there, and you think, oh, it's just one of you know an orb that I caught, you know, some dust in the air or a bug flying by or something like that. Right. And then you're right. Right. You get home. I always tell people, don't, don't delete those photos though, because when you get home and you put them on your computer and you got that big screen in front of you, you know, you've got a much better chance of seeing something that you caught, you know.
2: That's true. Yes, that's absolutely true. Definitely. So don't delete your photos, everybody. Wait till you get them home and look at them on your big screen (laughs) computer. That makes sense. It does, because you're right. I mean, sometimes these little blips turn out to be a big deal. So that's great. So what other advice do you have for ghost hunters? It sounds like you really know your stuff, and what do you have to tell these people, especially neophytes, people just starting out?
1: Well, you know, I think people who are just starting out, especially, their big thing is they they want to have an experience because I think we live in a time where more and more people are becoming disillusioned with like religion and things like that. So we have so many people who really want some sort of an indication of an afterlife Mm -hmm. and anything, you know, anything. I can't remember who said it, but you know, anything is preferable to oblivion even if mm-hmm. it's being a right. ghost or or reincarnating and becoming something else or but you know everyone kind of wants that confirmation of life after death so when people i you know in my experience when people start kind of dabbling into ghost hunting and going to ghost hunting classes and things you know they want that experience they, they want to have that experience and i always tell people you know Go to places where people talk about things happening. Like I see so many beginning ghost hunters going to cemeteries and hanging out at you know bridges that have no folklore attached to them or anything just just because they think they're spooky looking, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say, well, you know, Limp Mansion, you know, is you know I see people in Missouri doing this, and I'll say, you know, when well, Limp Mansion's sitting right in St. Louis, you know, where they had four suicides on the premises and like literally hundreds of Eyewitness accounts of running into ghosts and having things happen. Why don't you go to rent a room at the Limp Mansion? You're going to have yeah. a much better odds of running into a ghost there than out here in the cemetery or walking down this spooky road or something like that. Yeah. you know. Sure. And uh, I sure. Well, and you know, and we have better access to. Like I think you know, 15 years ago, a lot of places they like to hide their sort of their ghost stories and stuff like that. And now because of the paranormal tourism that's kind of blown up now you go to a hotel website they put their ghost story right there on the website for you you
0: you, you (laughs) mentioned it to the
1: concierge you you mentioned it to the concierge they they take you around and show you the best
2: spots you know and that's great (laughs) they're showing you
1: exactly where to go you know
2: yes yes i think that's the funniest thing how times have changed it's now out in the open it's great now, Salem, you said, is. is one of your favorite places. Tell us about Salem. What do you think of it?
1: Oh, man, I just love everything about it. I, like I was saying you know, before the show, that it's really cool because it's got, you know, everything that you kind of want from a big city, but still managed to hold on to that almost like a small-town feel. And coming from the south or the Midwest, you know, whichever way you want to view Memphis, Tennessee, where I live now um, – when you think you know, when you live down here and you think of New England, you sort of have very specific images in your mind and granted for me most of those are coming from like HP Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe, but um you still have, you know, these images that you think of as New England and Salem just kinda embodies like all of it. You know, it's got the history, they've got the spooky stories. I love the ghost stories of the Hawthorne Hotel. I love the, the you know, the stories of the The old haunted cemetery where a lot of the unfortunate women who were burned to death are are now lying. And I just, I just, I love the history. I love the look. I love the, uh, just the style,
2: everything about that area. Yeah, it is a very, very unusual place. Now, I heard that there were tunnels underneath the city. Have you heard about that? I know that they were doing some walks through those tunnels.
1: I wondered if they were doing something like that because I I, I remember I went to a coffee shop while I was there. We were shooting with the Japanese team again, and we actually did the – we went to the cemetery, the the famous cemetery there, and then stopped by the Hawthorne Hotel, and we're shooting at the Lizzie Borden house. So we were on a break, and I heard two girls saying that they had done a ghost hunt with something with a tunnel, but I never could manage to get what the scoop on that was. But the impression I got was that the Hawthorne Hotel, I guess, has access to it, maybe? It sounded like they were talking about the Hawthorne Hotel maybe having a tunnel.
2: Uh, I think you may be right. This is a fairly new, uh, in the last couple of years, thing that people have been talking about doing is going through those tunnels. I guess it's incredibly spooky. So that might be something for you to put on your list next time you come up this way.
0: Oh, well, I love
1: the same thing like the Shanghai Tunnels. Um, and all the stories attached to that, I'd
2: be all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's 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 such a, I don't know, there is a romantic element about Salem for all of us who love paranormal. And all of the shops, they're just so much fun. You know, so many readers there, so many witches there. You know, they have the witches' ball every year. Have you ever been there on Halloween?
1: No, I haven't had the... the pleasure or opportunity but i i would like i said i've been thinking about actually moving there so i'm, I'm hoping that i'll get to go at least in the future
2: yeah i hope so because i know all of the uh the photographs i've seen of the balls and the, the all the pageantry that happens it's it's really fun it's such a, a good energy about all of it and so yeah it, it's definitely something to take in i was there once on halloween day and it was the best. It was just so, the energy was so upbeat. Everybody was having a great time. This is a number of years ago. But it was great fun. And so, yeah, I encourage you to move up here. <laughs> then you can and enjoy it And I would say if anybody, if anybody has the opportunity,
1: yeah, and if anybody has the opportunity to do, when they're doing that, if they're going to stay in Salem, go to the Hawthorne Hotel and ask for room 612 because uh, is one of the most, cool ghost stories ever is the idea because they believe well at least it's been said by several psychics that the female spirit who haunts the sixth floor of that hotel and room 612 is supposed to be uh bridget bishop um from back in the day Uh so a lot of people have seen her apparition there and the weird thing too is that they say when the ghost is about to appear when she starts to appear You'll actually be hit with the scent of like apples.
2: Huh? Why apples? <laughs> Which is,
1: <laughs> I don't know. There's been some speculation about that because it's it's funny. Like at least three or four different sets of witnesses who stayed there said they could smell apples, and then weird things would start happening in the room where you know items would start moving around, or they'd hear a female voice. At least one or two people have actually seen what they thought was Bridget Bishop. Um, some think. It's because Bishop back in the day on that land actually had an apple orchard, oh, and that okay. she was and, and that she was like attached to it, and so mm-hmm. that's why she's actually still there haunting the hotel.
2: Interesting, yeah, could be. There's a reason. There's got to be. And Lizzie <laughs> Borden, Lizzie took an axe. Okay, so so you stayed there. What did you did you feel the presence of Lizzie or the uh, the dead the dead parents, the parents that were murdered, anybody while you were there?
1: Well, we definitely had some strange stuff going on there. This was, like I said, part of the Japanese shoot. So we were actually monitoring one of the rooms most of the night. And it was actually the bedroom where uh, they found the mother lying uh, dead on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, face down on the floor. And <clears throat> he kept – it was a strange night because the the, the Japanese guy, the poor the suckers we kind of call him, Kept waking up, and he would keep looking at this one corner of the room. And of course, we're all leaning in front of the monitors, going, "You know what is he looking at?"
0: You know,
2: and
1: um, you could tell, you know, that he'd hear something, and he'd sit up in the bed, and he'd stare over at the same corner of this room. And so, finally, one of us uh, got up to you know walked out in the hallway, and in fact, it was it was the producer, and he yelled, "Hey, Rich, come here." And when when I went out into the hallway to see what he was talking about, there was this black, almost like a shadowy – not I want to say I don't want to say a shadow figure because it wasn't the shape of a human. It was almost like a black blob.
0: Uh-huh. It was kind
1: of like at the end of the hall just sitting in a corner. And as soon as I walked out and he pointed at it, it just went like into the next room. Oh, my gosh. And so we got pretty convinced that maybe because we couldn't see it on camera being like staring into the dark with night vision – but this guy, maybe he was seeing you know a black mass like that in the corner of the room,
2: yeah, well, certainly the murders were pretty horrific now what's what is your thought on this? I know there's been a lot of investigation into who actually did the murders because Lizzie, as everybody knows, was put on trial, but she was found not guilty. So what do you think right. happened?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. You know, it's funny like the, the the current owners of the house, when they were kinda giving us the rundown of the whole case that you know, how some people believed that Lizzie had done it, but some had also believed that the maid had done it and uh, there's a couple other suspects, uh, that they had in mind. I don't know. I think I kinda lean towards she did it, but the fact that you know, she was kind of abused by the family and the things that happened there she was Kind of, it was kind of one of those justified things, and I guess in a way that she kind of would hit back at her parents for you know picking on her for so long. But uh, no, nah, I I guess I guess I think she did it. Yeah, kind of got away with it, and I'm, I'm kind of like bully for her if she was abused.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people have said she had uh, somebody help her that she couldn't have done it all herself, which. Kind of does make sense. it might have involved two people, um whether it was a maid or somebody else, but <clears throat> yeah, there's been so much speculation over the years about who who actually killed those two people, but yeah, they sounded like they were pretty horrific to her and molested her and I mean, my God, that creates such an incredible rage, yeah. so yeah, it it still fascinates people today. Now she left that house though. She didn't die there. She went and moved somewhere else within Salem, right? Or was uh-huh. it outside of Salem?
1: It was outside Salem. She she ended up moving with her she living with her sister. Um when it was all over and she just kind of I think she changed her name and just kind of stayed away from New England as much as possible. Um but, you know, you know they do think that her spirit haunts, for some weird reason, the basement of the Lizzie Borden house. So, if you you know, when they take you on the little mini tour down in the basement, they have a lot of strange activity down there, and, and for whatever reason, they attribute that to Lizzie. And um, of course, we were most interested, and we kind of thought the little black blob too might have been something to do with this. Is one of their you know most well cited spirits is the cat that belong to the maid, Maggie. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Wow. And so people say that they see like a little, you know, a black object scurrying across the floor, or they'll Mm -hmm. see like like it looks like something has been sitting on the bed, or they'll feel like, you know, like uh, kind of something blurry running down the hall kind of thing. And there's a lot of sightings of Maggie's ghost cat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, that's good. That's a little more tolerable, I think. But with um, with her parents, you know, it just sounds like nobody's ever seen them, or have they? Has any have, have any witnesses seen the parents?
1: Well, that, you know, like as part of the tour, they were kind of giving us the rundown of the ghosts. They do say that the spirit of Andrew, the, the man who was killed on the downstairs couch,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, they do say that that uh, a few people have claimed to see Andrew on the ground floor, kind of around the okay. area where he was murdered. Like he'll either be like kind of standing in the living room area, the kitchen area, or they'll hear a male voice. And they just kind of attribute that to Andrew. Um, Okay. But it's, yeah, it's kind of ironic, though, that most of the activity there, they either, you know, lump onto Lizzie hanging out in the basement or the ghost cat kind of running around and,
2: you know, playing with everyone. You know, I think, though, and I'm interested to hear what you feel about this, a lot of times when there is a a murder, and it's such a traumatic, violent experience, it, sometimes I think it tears a hole from this reality to another one. And when that happens, it allows other things to come through. So <clears throat> I don't think it's Lizzie necessarily haunting the basement. That kind of doesn't make any sense. but It could be there's other things there, given what happened.
1: Well, absolutely. And I mean, you know, also just given the age of that area. I mean, things existed there even before that house was built. Um, You know, like you were just talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. And like when people talk about sightings of things associated with, with Native American floor and Native American spirits and things like that. I mean, that whole area was ridden with stuff like that. And
2: yeah. I always
1: yeah. attribute activity more and more to just the idea of, you know, you need energy to do work. It's basic physics. And you have some kind of traumatic emotional event leaves behind a lot of energy. I think, mm-hmm. And it sucks up a lot. of You know, even in us in real life, when we have something just crazy, horrible happen to us or crazy, exciting happen to us, you're instantly drained. Like the second it's mm-hmm. over, you feel like, all the energy in your body has been sucked out of you. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, with that kind of energy being left behind, with that kind of emotion, you know, if, you know, if she was beaten and treated so poorly, and she was finally driven to killing the way that she did and everything, that, yeah, that energy is there for, if not Lizzie visiting from where she lived with her sister, then some other, you know, spirit local to the area, you know, sucking on the energy and hanging around.
2: Yeah, I think it becomes somewhat attractive to certain types of entities. They get drawn to it and drawn through any type of a tear in the fabric. So certainly these violent events can create that. So that's, that's a really interesting house, and certainly her story has fascinated people for for decades. So I guess we'll never know for certain what happens. <laughs> One of those mysteries that will never be completely solved. But, gosh, what a story. What a story that rocked New England. Now, you also oh, write sure. about Hawaii in here. Hawaii is a place I just don't think about being haunted. You know, it doesn't have the same ambiance of Salem or <laughs> anything like that. So tell us about Hawaii.
1: Well, Hawaii kind of touches on exactly what we just talked about just you know, just a few seconds ago, which is like, uh, when you have an area or a land who kind of have a lot of Native American folklore and legends, you know that goes on with it, and it's pretty interesting that when you get in Hawaii and you start kind of touring around, wanting to go to haunted places, it's not really surprising that a lot of the spots end up being really close to volcanoes. Oh, you know, okay. They have so much folklore and. Uh, religious connotation to volcanoes that a, a lot of those spookier places end up kind of being around a volcano. And in my case, my favorite spot there being Volcano House, you know, which is in one of their national parks, um, uh-huh. which you can actually go stay at and have some some pretty cool experiences and whatnot. But for sure, yeah, Hawaii. If you're into like the Native uh, American kind of folklore and spirits. And that kind of thing. Hawaii is just ripe with that stuff.
2: So tell us more about their folklore of you know, around and surrounding these volcanoes. What's this all about? Well,
1: uh, I'm not an expert on their old religion, but the way I understand it is is most of it centers around the idea of a god named like Pele.
0: Uh-huh. Um
1: and depending on the period in Hawaii's history that you kind of explore um Pele was kind of like the goddess of like power but also like love and jealousy and basically pa- I guess kind of she was kind of like a passionate spirit kind of a thing and mm-hmm. uh so people would go and they would they would unfortunately sacrifice humans uh to the volcano to sort of keep Pele from blowing her top and volcano exploding all over the island so you know the i guess there's no real way to estimate how many people were probably killed and thrown into the volcano but it was probably a lot considering it wasn't until well the late 1800s that we even sort of sort of started that europe started kind of visiting vol- the volcanoes and things in hawaii and trying to learn about it
0: so yeah. Um, a
1: lot of it stems around the idea of sacrifice to the volcano, the spirits who kind of stuck around because of dying there, and the uh, middle Native American folklore creatures. Like They have these little fairy, almost styled creatures that hang around in uh, Hawaii that they attribute mm-hmm. to, like, playing jokes <laughs> on people and plaguing them and almost acting like poltergeists in houses and stuff like that.
2: Ooh, okay. That's interesting now is I wonder too about of course we have this volcano thing happening in the Canary Islands. I wonder if they've had ever any kind of folklore or uh religious beliefs around the volcanoes there Is this like a worldwide phenomenon wheres there where there are volcanoes, or is this just specific to Hawaii? You might not know the answer, but it's a question I have. <laughs> yeah
1: you know, I have to think that probably that there's some kind of folklore associated with them because I mean they are such powerful things, at least the ones you know that have managed to kind of erupt off and on for centuries um that the Native Americans that are natives whoever whatever country we're talking about with these uh volcanoes. I'm sure that they have some kind of folklore if we can manage to attach folklore and urban history to almost every bridge in America and I wrote a whole Mm -hmm. book about haunted bridges, then I'm pretty sure that probably every volcano in the world has a fair amount of folklore attached to it and and spooky stories.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would think it's, again, because of the power of it and the fire and, you know, oh, my God, there's just so much energy around this. But certainly the one that is happening in the Canary Islands right now, La Palma, is, is very concerning because its effect is not just localized. it's uh, It could be much more damaging. And it's just an interesting, interesting thing as we're talking about Hawaii and everything that has grown up around their volcanoes. So, yeah, very interesting. What else did you find in Hawaii? Anything else? Any haunted houses or anything beyond the volcanoes? Well,
1: well there's a really cool place that you can actually visit there. Um, it's in Waipahu. And and I probably pronounced that wrong because I, I was terrible. I, I would always try, even working with the Japanese people, always try to pronounce things correctly, and I always end up botching it. I think that's my, just my Memphis Southern accent cutting through or something. But <laughs> in Waipahu, <laughs> they have a place called Plantation Village, and it's this cool little like museum park thing you go where they have all these different houses set up. That are all decorated to uh, appear like different cultures from around the world that had lived in Hawaii at some point, um, either as they were there because they were migrant workers or they were immigrants or things like that. So when you're going through, there's like, you know, there's like a mini Japanese house, you know, like how the Japanese migrants worked, and then there's like mm-hmm. this mini, you know, all these different ones there, and some of them have just almost horror movie-level scary stories about them. And <laughs> you're kind of walking oh through, and they'll tell you about them you know, on the tour. So if you go on the tour there, ask for the ghost stories because they'll give them to you. But uh, and there's then, a Puerto yeah. Rican house there uh-huh. where they have a doll on display, and there's a spirit there that likes to play with this doll. And we were staring at the doll, and we had just left the building. We heard from inside the house this kind of – Oh, from everybody. And so we ran back in, and the doll was laying on its side. And they all said they had seen this doll get knocked over right in real time, right in front of everyone.
2: Oh, that's great. That is great. And, and its I think it's great that it was more than one witness, too. It was a group of them, right? Yeah, a
1: whole group of them. And there's several of them there, too. That was in the uh, – I want to say it was the Puerto Rican. style at home. And then there was one that you'll know it because it looks almost like traditional Japanese style. And they see a spirit of a little girl around this particular house. And uh, the employees that have worked there have seen her. Different people on the tours have ran into her. But they describe her as almost looking like the girl from the movie The Ring where she has this long black hair and it's kind of in her face and that kind of
2: thing going on. Oh, boy. That was a spooky one. Oh, goodness. Well, this is great. So your life is quite an adventure, one ghost story after another. And yet, what's your next step? What are you going to do after this? Are you going to keep going and maybe go to a different country and look around? Or where, where's your next adventure going to come from?
1: Well, I'm currently working on a a book called The Disembodied about a particular haunted piece of land in Missouri that covers kind of three generations of craziness. Um, And I'm hoping to keep working with Fuji TV once the pandemic lifts enough that the the good folks in Japan can travel a little easier. They have really harsh lockdown requirements there and stuff like that, so we haven't really been able to do much as far as getting out to different locations… But we had uh-huh. just started going to different places around the world. We went to a haunted school in uh, Cork, Ireland, and then we shot an episode at a Shepton Mallet prison in England. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. to start doing a little more overseas stuff.
2: Oh, that's great. That sounds exciting. I mean, all those castles over there, right?
0: Oh, for sure. Some
2: of them, some of them I hear are, are ter- I mean, haunted in a very bad way. So, yeah, that would be interesting. One of them has something, uh, some type of a, an area, room, whatever, that's completely sealed off, and they don't allow anybody to open it for any reason. You wonder what the heck they're hiding down there. So, yeah, that would be fun for you to explore, for sure. Now, you also mentioned we were talking before we got on the show about U- UFOs. Tell us what you know.
1: Well, I was in the Army for eight years, and um, one of the funny things is – when I was stationed in Germany for four years, my first NCO when I was just a private, he he had a Humvee that was actually called Area 51,
0: and <laughs> it was
1: called that because he he had actually worked at Area 51, or at least the Air Force base that's over there by what they term Area 51. He had worked on that Air Force base for almost four years, and he had all these crazy stories about you know how the security was so tight. You had to like you know they would actually draw colored lines out on the tarmac, and you could only walk in the areas that you were designated high enough clearance to get into You know, kind of thing. You could literally get arrested for stepping across the line. And uh, so I was always kind of filled with those stories about Area 51 and all that kind of stuff, and we had an experience too where we were shooting in uh, Arkansas, and on I-55 in the middle of nowhere, and it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, there's very little traffic. And we see this strange light in the sky, so we pull over on the side of the road, jump out of the car, and there's this perfect like, triangle kind of cruising across the sky. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was actually an Air Force base there in um, Blyville, Arkansas. It's closed down now, I believe. But at the time, there was an Air Force base there. So a lot of people were like, I think that's just something from the Air Force base. But my experience in the Army, I'm looking at it, and like I'm like, that, that's moving way too slow for a plane. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a perfect triangle. So that's probably the weirdest UFO thing I've ever personally seen.
2: Yeah, that is. I mean, we've heard from a lot of guests that the triangles are actually ours, that they've been reverse engineered, and they belong to us now. So when you see a triangle ship, it usually is one of ours, but it's always hard to know. Is it ours or theirs? They're not really forthcoming with that information, are they? So, yeah, that's very interesting. Can you t- share any of the crazy stories that that guy told you about Area 51? Oh, he would
1: just talk about, like, you, you would go out at night, and then they have, they'd have they have nights where they would do things they called light shows, where they would go out, mm-hmm. and there would just be these crazy multicolored you know, objects, I guess, for lack of a better word, just shooting across the sky. They'd go one direction, come to a complete halt, and then reverse and come back the opposite direction. And they just had, you know, things that, you know, planes can't do, you know, like stop in midair, you know. and um, Right. Yeah, it's just, you know, experiences like, in, and sometimes they said they would, come, they would leave the barracks and go out and they'd be watching the stuff, and then the MPs would have to come around and say everybody inside, everybody inside. They basically would like black out the area so no one could see something that was coming, you know. And he said you didn't dare try to sneak out because they would they would prosecute you, throw you in the brig, you know. And, God, um, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> crazy, you know. And even him being army on an air force base, um, which means he was, you know, he he probably reported to a much smaller unit. Uh, they they couldn't get away with anything, man. And he also talked about the security there that was ran by a private firm um, almost like Blackwater that they were the one they're the ones who sit in those infamous you know the SUVs watching out over area 51 for anyone to try to sneak in and all that kind of stuff and you know
2: it's not you know it's not all happening for nothing no I mean they're keeping us out for some reason they're keeping everything under wraps for some reason they don't want us to know about what they're up to. So that's why I always ask, you know, when people come on the show and they've they've met somebody from there and they've heard some stories, I always ask though well, maybe we can get some new information because we we all want to know. It's we're tired of the secrecy. I'm sure you are too. And it would be great to have some truth come out once in a while instead of us always trying to guess at <laughs> what oh, they're well, up sure. to and what their relationship is and and all of that we've lost, as you mentioned, so much trust. You mentioned religion and so much trust in our government and everything else that goes with it. So it would be nice to know some truth about UFOs and alien civilizations. But certainly ghosts are right up there for, I mean, there's a high number of people, I think the last poll I saw, are you familiar with any of the poll numbers that say people believe in ghosts? Is it 60% now? I think it's pretty high.
1: Oh, uh, it, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm not familiar with it, but I'm I'm never surprised when people say they believe in ghosts now.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely something that's it's more accepted to talk about. Ghost hunting, as you mentioned, has become a business. And you do have ghost tours in your area in Memphis, don't you?
1: Oh, yeah. We have a great local one that does downtown Memphis uh, where you get to go to places like the Peabody Hotel and uh, a few other little haunted spots around the downtown. And then we have a couple of really good spots if you just want to get away from the downtown area uh, that are more associated with, like, the Victorian era. Um, we have the mm-hmm. Fontaine House and the Ghost of Molly. We've got the mm-hmm. good old Orpheum Theater with the Ghost of Mary. And uh, just a lot of assorted, interesting little one-shot kind of ghost stories, yeah.
2: What about haunted churches? Have you encountered any haunted churches? Um,
1: I Actually, the only haunted church that I've been to uh, – well, I think ever, actually, um, was outside Memphis, and it was more associated with the uh, – here I am talking about a cemetery after talked about trying to avoid cemeteries. But when I first moved to <laughs> Memphis, they had this pretty infamous local newscaster who was really into the Halloween stories, and he did this mm-hmm. article about the 10 most haunted spots in Memphis, and the number one spot – was a cemetery in Atoka, Tennessee, outside of Memphis, that people said was like a portal to the other world, that they would hear these wow. unearthly growls and see these demon dogs and spirits and oh all my kinds goodness. of crazy stuff. And some of this leaked into the church, you know, that was right there, the old church that was associated with the cemetery. So we called the church and got permission. We got permission, you know, everyone out there.
0: <laughs>
1: we called, yeah. and got permission to, to go and hang out in the cemetery that night and check it out. And they were like, "Sure," you know. They let us in, gave us the keys, and you know, took off. And it was some crazy stuff out there. We actually had one of the most bizarre. When, I, when people talk about things being paranormal, like we were sitting in the cemetery, and a cop pulled over a girl driving down the road beside the cemetery. And so me and my buddy were like, "You know let's just lay low here in the cemetery until the cop leaves because you know even though we're here legally, I just don't want to explain to this guy why we're hanging out in the cemetery middle <laughs> of the night kind of thing all right and while we were while we were standing there quiet um watching this cop give a ticket, all of a sudden the sound comes from all around us, and it started really low, and it almost sounded like a motor ramping up. It was like." Woo. And then there was just this ungodly loud, like voice roar sound, and me and my buddy look at each other like, "What the heck?" And then I yeah. actually looked over to see if the cop heard it because it was that yeah. loud. And he didn't. He gave us ticket, and they drove off. But we immediately whipped out the audio recorders, played it back. Not there. You can actually you can actually hear the cop. Talking to the girl, giving the ticket from way far away, but it didn't capture one little bit of this sound that was so loud that me and my friend looked at each other we were staring at each other in horror when it was happening.
2: Oh, my goodness, isn't that something? It sounds a lot like that area is similar to Skinwalker Ranch with all of the different things that you mentioned. About it, like hellhounds and strange noises and things like that. It certainly sounds like Skinwalker.
1: I, I, I'm not familiar with the, all the story about that, but it sounds like it. And I and I know that several different uh, ghost hunting groups in the area kind of refer to this Atoka Cemetery as a as a portal, this portal spot. They usually say it's yeah. not a regular haunting; it's more like a portal and you're going to encounter non-human entities and all kinds of crazy things there.
2: Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like to me, because I know that they've had – I'm not sure all the gory details about Skinwalker in terms of capturing things electronically, but I'm pretty sure they also had some trouble capturing some of this stuff, even though the witnesses heard, saw, felt, whatever. It wasn't showing up on the camera, which is frustrating. And I know (laughs) – Well, and that's why,
1: you know, when people talk about things being truly paranormal, like just not normal, I mean it's not mm-hmm. normal to hear a loud audio event, you know, of such magnitude that you're that you're almost putting your hands over your ears and it not showing up on an audio recorder sitting in your lap. Yeah. You know, so it makes you think, you know, was this – were we hearing this psychically? And if we were, we both were. So it wasn't one person like – you know, having some sort of, you know, psychic ability or anything, because we both heard it at the same time, you know, and reacted to it. And our reactions yeah. are on the audio. You can hear us both going, you know, what the crap, you know, kind of <laughs> reacting to it and everything. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah.
2: So something very, very big is going on there. Yeah. Do they ever have disappearances there where people just go go there and no don't come back? I've never heard of that, but you know,
1: like when they talk about the, uh, you know, the old urban legends and there's several of them where there's a character or person from like usually from the late 1800s. They see them walking across a field and they just snap out of existence kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, there's a pretty famous one of those not too far away from Atoka. And I can't remember what the poor fellow was supposed to be called. I think it was like Nathan Joes or something like that. But it mm-hmm. was, it's one of those typical kind of urban legend tales where the family's all watching their son out there in the field and they call him to the house and they're all standing there looking and he's walking towards them and he just blinks out of existence.
2: Wow, that must <laughs> he's have never seen been again. a mind blown ex- experience. Yeah. That's that's very very strange. Very strange. So yeah, but those are—they sound very much like portal experiences, and especially the uh, the one with the graveyard you're talking about, because that certainly was a paranormal event that wasn't recorded. And how strange! How very strange! Now that sounds like a place that needs to be investigated a little more. <laughs> and it's close by, so I may I may have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you may want to read up in Skinwalker because one of the things you mentioned, this is why I was saying what I was saying about Skinwalker and this place, you mentioned that machinery sound. And that's something that was described at Skinwalker. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's almost like you, you don't know if
1: it's its like a slow growl that's building up, but it, the the quality to it is it's almost like a generator ramping up.
0: Like, yeah, rrr,
1: yeah, it's yep. kind of it's kind of crazy. by the end, though, and when it ends, you know, you're definitely left with the impression, you know, that was some kind of creature or
2: something. <laughs> it sounded right. almost, it's... you
1: know, like a monster.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder what would have happened had the police officer and the girl not been there. You know, if something would have manifested, because you know how it can change energy when other people are involved. And they were just doing their regular thing. You know, She was probably speeding. He just wrote her a ticket. Very mundane. But you guys were yep. into something a lot bigger than that.
0: Yep.
1: And weirdly enough, the only other thing that we got the entire night that we were at the cemetery was one of the cameras uh, we had on night vision behind us that were pointing behind us. So just prior to all of this happening, a perfect ghost light, not, not an orb. An actual physical glowing ball of light was bobbing around the cemetery and cutting in mm. and out of headstones, and we actually wow. have uh, about a three-minute video of it moving in and out of, of the headstones.
2: Wow, that's great! Now, do you know anything about the history of the land? What was there before the church and the cemetery?
1: I don't, but when I talk to the when I talk to the uh, the minister of the church, he was saying that uh, he's not aware of what any kind of dark real history associated with that era. But he did know that for generations, because even that church I think dated back to like the 1880s or 1870s mm-hmm. or something,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he was saying that uh, the folklore in the area and that the, the legends in the area have pretty much been what they are today since the 1800s where people just – they feel like uh, – there's these dark entities that, for whatever reason, are drawn to the dead of that particular cemetery, and so people mm-hmm. have seen, like I said, it's almost like giant black dog-looking creatures skulking around the outsides of the uh, iron rot fence, and people hear growls and moans, and they do see, you know, apparitions there sometimes, uh, balls of light float, like we saw, uh, just all, you know, the whole the whole gamut of just spooky things.
2: Yeah. Well, definitely check out Skinwalker Ranch. I know there's a movie out about it uh, you can watch on YouTube. And maybe that will give you some reference points about the sounds you heard and also some of the things people are reporting, seeing. I know there was a big wolf they saw at Skinwalker, like huge. I mean, just beyond huge. You know, things like that, creatures, you know, things that are like you talk about the big dogs, like hellhounds and here, they had this okay. enormous wolf that just came sauntering over to them. Uh, so, so it was unfazed it like a, by bullet.
1: Okay, so is it almost like a, what is it, like a Wendigo type of thing, like with Native Americans or something like that?
2: You know, I'm not sure if they had finally identified it as such, but they did say that for some reason, oh, I know what it was, the wolf grabbed one of the calves. I think, by the head or something, and they were trying to get it away from this wolf, and they shot at the wolf, and it was they hit him, and it was totally unfazed. they had no effect, so hmm. it's interesting you know when something comes in from another dimension, our weapons apparently don't have much of an effect, if any on it
1: they They didn't have those silver bullets. <laughs> they must
2: have needed them, yeah. And they had other <laughs> things happen, like all these prize cattle or bulls or whatever they were. Um, they left; these people left the ranch. They came back, and all of these these bulls were like crowded into this trailer. They have no idea how they got in there, and they had uh-huh. a hell of a time getting them out. There was really no way to get them out. I forget what they did to get them out, but yeah. I mean, crazy stuff. Like they were just lifted up and placed in there somehow. So time and space take on a very different uh, connotation when it comes to mixing these two realities together. So I would imagine you may encounter something similar if you spend enough time in this this area.
1: I guess I have I to wonder what the decide pre- if I, if I want to encounter those.
2: <laughs> I know. <laughs> and and I wonder if if any of the personnel at the church have any more stories to tell you about it, because they're there all the time, right?
1: They are, but, you know, you get this feeling, you know, a lot of times when – I've ran into this a lot, especially dealing with clergy and stuff like that, because a lot of uh, denominations, they really don't want to acknowledge the idea of ghosts and things like that. I've I've had – you know, some pretty interesting old churches turned into like living museums. And when I would contact them and say, hey, you know, we just want to document your ghost stories and, you know, you guys kind of exist off tourism, you know, it would drive some interest in your place. And then they will flatly say something along the lines of, the only spirit in this place is the spirit of the Lord. Goodbye, sir. Wow.
2: Oh, hang up okay. on you. you know? Whoops. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
2: <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. I've kind of had bad
1: experiences, like a lot of times dealing with a lot of clergy, especially trying to get paranormal stories out of them.
2: Yeah, yeah, understood. (laughs) Now, uh, I have a question from the audience. It was just texted over to me, and it is, Have you ever encountered an evil spirit like a demonic one? Those tend to be a lot more powerful and a lot more frightening. Ever encounter anything like that?
1: Well, I've definitely been to places where they say that that the uh, spirit activity there or the ghostly stuff is attributed to a non-human entity. Um, and I wrote a whole book called Devil in the Delta about a case in Mississippi where they believed they had a non-human entity in uh, their home. So, yeah, I have had a little experience with this kind of stuff. I think it's hard because it's, it's hard to demarcate um, a lot of times, when people are are very much afraid of the haunting that's happening with them, it mm-hmm. becomes difficult to parse out is the spirit a non human. I think the toughest part in these cases is actually trying to figure out is the spirit actually a non human entity that it was never mm-hmm. once you know a living human. Because a lot of times they're just so damn scared that you know they're convinced. You know, such as the case with the, with the devil of the delta, they were so convinced. That there was a, was a demonic presence in this house that you know those of us who had more experience with ghost hunting and stuff, we were really seeing activity that was pretty typical for a haunted place, mm-hmm. but they were just so dang scared that they just couldn't believe that the level of fear going on in this house and all the things that were happening could be the spirit of one of a human. Um, so I've had some experience, you know, like I say, where people you know kind of think it is, and sometimes you do get that vibe of just almost evil, like it's just truly frightening to be there. And you kind of – I remember going to the decent house in Mississippi, and there was uh, a spirit there, and I was standing in the dark trying to plug a lamp. You know how when you're standing in the dark trying to plug something in, and you're feeling around like, come on, go in, dang it. And it felt like something cupped their hands over my ear and kind of just went, like that. And it was all I could do just (laughs) to like – You know, keep it together and kind of stand up and walk out of the room, you know, kind of. But that night, we just kept seeing a dark shadow figure around the house, and we had to sleep there that night. And we ended up stationing these beeping EMF detectors in rooms to kind of give us an alarm if something was coming towards us. And this one particular room, you were laying in your sleeping bag on the floor, and you could see in the dark in there. One of those EMF detectors would start blinking and lighting and beeping, beep, 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 And you'd look down there, and it was so dark, it was darker than the room. You could see a black figure just sitting in that room, like, staring at you, sleeping. And it's setting off the EMF detectors. it's That kind of experience is pretty dang frightening.
2: That is. That's very, very frightening. Uh, That's very scary because now you're getting confirmation that there's really something there from your own equipment. So, yeah, that's that's really something. I think in the experiences that I've had, most of them have not uh, something that would be too frightening. However, there is an element where you get startled, you know, where sometimes you're just not expecting it. Like, I'm sure you didn't expect something over your ears like that. (laughs) And exactly. that's that startling thing. It's like it's one thing to see an entity, or for me to communicate with, with an entity, whether it's human or not. That's easy for me. But if something startles me, especially if I'm sleeping, that's a different reaction. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, very like, different like, thing. We
1: talked at the beginning of the show. You know the context. It's that it's all in that context. You know, I, I've gone into places, and you know the people there are, are frightened. And they'll say, you know, I walked in the room, and as soon as I walked in the room, it slammed the door. You know, to me, that you know, the spirit wants us to get out. You know, it's angry at us. And then I'll say, but yeah, but look, you know, it may only have enough energy to push the door, and it just wants you to notice them. What if the ghost is just trying to get your attention? You know, you're you're reading into an event that has no emotion. You know, it's just a door shutting. You know, so, it, you know, some yes. of it is exactly what you're talking about. It's that context. And I'm quite sure in the middle of the night you get up in the dark and you go to the bathroom and you're walking back and then you hear a voice go Ugh, or a door slam next to yeah. you. It scares it's, crap out right. of you.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you wait know? a second. <laughs> this is supposed to be happening now. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That That is a, a very true. I remember one time I was, when this is years ago, and Becky Andreasen and I were uh, working on some projects together, and uh, I was sound asleep, but I felt something on my neck and my back and kind of wrapped its arms around me, and they weren't human arms. And it startled me so much out of a sound sleep that I screamed, Becky, now here I am in New England. Becky was in Virginia, and suddenly I was standing in her kitchen, and I was like, shit, now I'm going to have to fly home in my pajamas <laughs> <laughs> because I am now in Virginia. <laughs> so right. uh, anyways, um, it, it was that real, and, uh, it, but it was so funny. And the next morning when I talked to Becky, I was like, does your kitchen look like this? And I described it. She said, yeah. And that's where I always go and talk to people is in my kitchen late at night. So it was a very interesting experience, but it was one of those that started with being totally taken by surprise and startled by something kind of slimy um, that I did not expect. And so, yeah, you're right, contacts. And the other thing I just wanted to share with you is some of the people we've had on the show that have had some really big-time hauntings in their homes, uh, well-documented, it is their reaction that makes such a difference. And you've mentioned this, too, during our conversation tonight. And the people who don't get freaked out, you know, the people who keep their wits about them and just treat it like it's a, it's a normal experience that's coming out of the paranormal, and we're not going to let this throw us off, they're the ones that end up with the best experience of all because they get the facts, they get the experience, but they don't get terrified by it. To the point where they're driven out of their home, you know. So many ghost stories we see, where they had to leave the home because they couldn't deal with it anymore. But these are so often people who are uh, almost hysterical about it. You know, they can't they can't integrate it.
1: Right, and and a lot of that, you know, has a lot of times to do with religion because they are being told there's no such you know people that I know especially that are Catholic is there there a lot of Catholics are so staunchly believes that ghosts don't exist. So, you know, and the Warrens were sort of famous for this, where they would go into a place that was well known to be haunted, but then they would turn around and look at the camera and say, it's a demon. Because Ah. their religion really didn't have room for ghosts. So -hmm. if something was in the house doing stuff, it was a demon. I mean, you're a Catholic. You know, there's angels, there's demons. You die, you go to heaven, you go to hell. There's no ghost singing out here. You know. If there's something in this house and it's doing things, it's a demon. And you know, and this came to bite the Warrens on the butt many, many times because they would go in places like the Snedekers and the Smurls and all these other families and they would be belabored with a ghost, you know, and they'd go in there yeah. and start investigating and then next thing you know they're talking to the press saying that there's a demon in the place and they gotta bring in an exorcist and the family's infuriated because number one, they wanted some privacy and number two, they don't believe that it's a demon. And when the case is all said and done, the Warrens get a book, and the family is suing them, you know, Ooh. for for destroying their life. But people wow. don't know, them, but the Warrens were sued over many of the cases that are now becoming movies and all this stuff, like the Snedekers you know and the Smurls. A lot of these families ended up suing the Warrens and winning, because really? of this exact yes, this exact pattern of taking you know, kind of what is the normal haunting. And making it something more nefarious, but I think more than anything, just the way that they would come in and instantly call the press in on them, you know. And a lot of times they just didn't want—they wanted help. They didn't want the press hanging out and ma- writing more articles about them, and so right. they would end up all over the news and everything. Yeah, and you know, well, I mean, the Warrens have been sort of accused of this a, a bajillion times over the years, all the way back to the Amityville Horror
2: case. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, oh, I had no know, idea, though, that they had that, like, been sued. That's fascinating. Yeah.
1: Oh, yes. Oh,
2: yes, yes, yes. And I think they even talk
1: about it if, uh, in the movie for – I want to say it's the uh, the first Conjuring. Like when you actually yeah. read about the, uh, the, fam- the Perron family that lived in the yeah. house and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Perron has been very vocal and very candid – about her dealings with the Warrens and the ensuing legal battles and things that happened after that case.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, she's been on the show, Andrea, and I I don't recall her talking about uh that aspect of it, but I don't doubt it given what you just shared. That's it's really a shame, you know, especially for everybody in the paranormal world who really takes this as, you know, this is a part of our normal world. This is normal for us. We understand as much as we possibly can about it, and and we like to explore more of it. And then when people come in and do things that uh, basically blow it up and make it something it isn't, it makes it hard for everybody.
0: Right. No,
1: it's true. And I mean, and a lot of it is, you know, I talk about, when sometimes when you're investigating, especially as a new ghost hunter kind of thing, you have to be careful to kind of not sort of bend the narrative to what you want it to be. And right. I think that happens a lot with a lot of organizations especially that are kind of religiously based. They go in mm-hmm. and, you know, they're very vocal about the religion and things like that and then they go in and no matter what the the active activity, you know, the haunted activity is in the house, they're trying to make it into something religious and they're trying they're already sort of bending the narrative to fit what they want it to be kind of thing, you know, and and that's just a dangerous thing to get into.
2: Well, it is. I know um, we had Dr. Gallagher on the show as a psychiatrist who is also an exorcist and involved in all kinds of things. And, and I can see where there is no line of delineation. It's like any playing around what they would call with the paranormal is, is, is bad. Um, and so yeah, I can see what you're saying with the Warrens where any everything and anything became demonic and needed an exorcist. So it became more and more dramatic and less of just a trapped soul or somebody trapped in time. Not it, it doesn't exactly you know, call for a television movie. <laughs> so <laughs> right? Yeah. Unless it's right. something like that. So yeah, that's yeah, that's too bad. It's really too bad, but that's very enlightening. I had no idea about all those lawsuits. Very interesting. Uh, they're still not around. I know she passed away. Is he still alive, or he's gone through? Who's that? The Warrens.
1: Oh, uh, they both passed away. Um, they
2: both
1: did. Yeah. I, I've met them several times uh, back in the aughts when we would do the uh, did a lot of paranormal conferences back then and conventions. Yeah. And they were still kind of making the rounds then and then. Ed died first, mm-hmm. and Lorraine. I think she Lorraine just passed away like maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a yeah, half. Yeah,
2: I thought it was recent. Yeah, they had. Yeah, because they were in Connecticut, not far from us. So,
0: yes, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: and I see the Conjuring House but is Ed, back Ed on the market. Away again a good too. way
1: back. Oh, oh yeah, really? Yeah. And Ed, I think he passed away more like I think I want to say around like 2010 or somewhere around that area.
2: Okay. Um,
1: and they pretty but much fell house... off the map when he passed away.
2: Oh, I bet. it must has been a big change. Um, the house, the Conjuring house, back on the market, being sold. Oh,
1: real the prone house? Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. I know a young couple purchased it, and I was involved in, in one of the, the filmings that they did uh, for that. But uh, I just read about it again. It's on the market for over a million dollars. If anybody wants to buy it. And do your own ghost hunting. <laughs> yeah.
0: Curse no blessing. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> really. Really. Well, any other last-minute advice for new ghost hunters or even some seasoned ghost hunters? What do you have to say?
1: I would just say if you're a new ghost hunter, you know, listen to, you know, the stories about a place. Go to a place that has high probability of, of something happening. And enjoy yourself. Don't get caught up with the, uh, you know, buying a bunch of gear. I see a lot of people want to buy a bunch of gear and stuff like that, but you have your, you know, if you've got your iPhone, just you've got the audio recorder right there. you got a camera with you right there. Um, and just go and have that fun personal experience. And as for seasoned ghost hunters, I mean, I would say don't get caught up with the hype of, um, you know, wanting to be the next TV sensation. And actually just, you know, build build a good local reputation with actually helping people who are dealing with hauntings and getting getting more of a good reputation locally than worrying about, you know, things like television and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, that's great. Good for you. Good for you for encouraging people the right way. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for coming on this show tonight. This has been great. Again, everybody, the name of Rich's new book is Passport to the Paranormal, Your Guide to Haunted Spots in America. Great book to have, everybody. It's available on Amazon and probably in your local bookstores, too. So next week, we will be back with another great show we have Bill Stillman coming on he is a psychic medium he has a new book and talking about all kinds of things psychic mediums need to know so until then everybody happy Halloween be safe have fun and until then we'll see you on the blue highway good night everyone
0: thanks for listening tune in next week For another radio adventure with Supernatural.